Hey, everybody. It's Mike Rickheim. Thanks for joining us for another episode of the Getting to Know podcast. Today, I have the pleasure of being joined by our director of R&D, Keith Abraham. And Keith, you are the first Getting to Know podcast to be recorded right after I spilled the largest coffee Starbucks has to offer. So we'll see if I can work through that effectively after that kind of mishap to start. But thank you for joining us. I know you're busy driving innovation for our fine organization. How are things going? Really well. You know, despite having the COVID, we have a separate R&D center. So we're able to work separate from the manufacturing environment. Uh, We have a very uh, new lab that we uh, built in 2015. And it allows really the team to be spread out. And so all throughout, we've been maintaining product development, uh, working a lot of different innovations. We've been uh, doing trials specifically on hand in Munising as well as remotely at our Northeast facilities. So can't complain and we've been making good progress. Prior to being forced into this kind of remote environment, did your, did your team work pretty effectively from afar or kind of have like a flex schedule or something like that? Or is this all pretty new? Actually, we've been working on site. Uh, actually, for the first two and a half months, I had two positions that could easily just do their work from home, my project manager and my product safety coordinator. Otherwise, we've been in, uh, been practicing social distancing. Everybody's done really well, uh, no issues. So it really hasn't been that big of a detriment for my team. You feel like we've got the right protocols in place and are they natural enough for your team to follow or has that been a challenge? It's natural. I mean, we, you know, we practice taking our temperatures. First thing each person comes in during the, in the morning follow the same protocol the manufacturing environment uses, utilizing the face masks. The environment of being part of a lab, uh, protection is uh, very important. So people have to gown up. And so it's, it's not an issue with the team. So talk to me about your, your kind of history with the organization, because um, while perhaps my eyes are failing me here, as we do this over Zoom, you don't look a day over 29 and a half. But as I understand it, you started with us in the early 80s as part of Kimberly-Clark, is that right? That's correct. I started in our tissue manufacturing business with Kimberly-Clark. Then I transferred to our corporate headquarters in Nina, Wisconsin. And I worked there for two years and at the same time uh, worked on a new greenfield site in Ogden, Utah and uh, moved there and lived there for five and a half years. I worked in several capacities and then I Moved my family to uh, New Milford, Connecticut. Uh, we had a very large three-sector mill. And I was the engineering manager there for four and a half years. And then uh, saw an opportunity with what was called our technical products division, which is our, our group here, Performance Materials. And uh, wanted to get out of the commodity business. Uh, this was very interesting. And I've been here since 1996. Got it. For my own benefit, for that of the, uh, the listening audience and the Getting to Know podcast, the moves um, to you know, Ogden, Utah, New Milford, Connecticut, back to, back to Wisconsin, are those driven by the need to be close to a specific asset as an R&D professional, R&D leader, or like what, what drives the need to be in a certain place in what you do? Well, my background is engineering, but I've worked research and engineering and operations also, I worked. At, I filled the role of a maintenance consultant uh, at one site. So mainly, it is driven by the business need. Uh, business need would come up, and they'd offer it to me. And I like challenges. I like change. 
Uh, so I would take those. Uh, I have to admit that when I moved here in 96 and 98, I did take an opportunity outside. I left Kimberly Clark actually for about three months. And at that point I thought, you know, I've been moving my family around and I thought I got to change priorities and focus on family. So I was asked whether I'd consider coming back to tech products and I said I would do it. Uh, that's kind of what's kind of propelled my, my changes. Got it. So focusing on family, tell us a little bit about your family. Three beautiful daughters, all grown up. My youngest is in LA. She works as an occupational therapist. Uh, my oldest daughter lives in Denver, uh, works for the Justice Department. And my middle daughter is north, uh, northern part of Illinois. And she has three, three children, or three grandchildren. And they actually came up late last night and uh, they're here for the next few days. And that's why I took, took the days off. But I've, they're out of the house right now before. <laughs> Got it. Got it. Got it. We appreciate that. How old are those three grandkids? Uh, my grandson turns four in October and oh, wow. my twin granddaughters are two and a half. Great ages. So does that complete the list currently of the uh, Abraham grandchildren or are there uh, any hanging out in LA or Denver? Nope. That's, that's the extent of it right now. That's it for right now. Great. I, good, do, good. I do have to mention, I do have a major milestone and my wife and I are celebrating our 40th wedding anniversary in September. God bless you. Congratulations on that. Thank you. Congratulations. And I don't think there's anything even legally she could do to stop that at this stage. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what the laws are in Wisconsin, but I, I think you're going to make it to 40. Well, yeah. Congratulations. That's, that's, that's great. It's quite an achievement. So um, how far from you today uh, are those grandkids in, in central Illinois? Yeah, about six and a half hours. So you live, what, on the shoulders of Lake Superior, is that right? The shore of Lake Superior, yeah, Marquette, Michigan, 48 miles from Munising where our facility is. Got it. So did you grow up in the Midwest? I did. I grew up in Oshkosh, Wisconsin. Okay, Oshkosh, Wisconsin. And then I uh, went to school in Madison, if I'm not mistaken, right? That's correct. So are you, are you a big sports fan, a big Big Ten fan in general? Um, oh, yeah, big sports fan. I mean, grew up uh, with the Brewers, the Bucks, Green Bay Packers. I mean, definitely big, big Packer fan. And then uh, growing up, Oz was a uh, Badger fan. But being in engineering, didn't have a lot of time. Uh, the only thing my wife and I did, we were able to get season tickets for hockey. I never watched hockey before, but that was a blast. Badger hockey's hardcore from what I've gathered. I'm not a huge hockey fan. Not that I don't like it. I just don't know as much about it. But the little bit that I've paid attention, Badger hockey's the real deal. It is. As an engineer from Wisconsin, do you have a particular hatred for your conference rivals at Purdue? You know, they're always talking about, you know, the great engineers coming from there, another conference. Like, is there any extra animosity as an engineer? No, not at all. No. I fired I fired engineers from Purdue when I was in corporate. Oh, good. Uh, I'm glad you're not discriminating against them. It's a great, great institution. But it is. It is. Yeah. I guess the biggest uh, rivalry for me would be Michigan. Okay. Well, you and I, I felt this like kindred spirit here. We have this new CFO, Paul DeSantis, who went to uh, University of Michigan for business school. Yeah. Uh, I can't believe I actually just used the M word. I usually just refer to that as that team up north. Yeah. Uh, but I, I love that you and I share that hatred because I, um, I would only root for them against the devil. New Milford, I had a boss that uh, he went to Michigan and he talked about, uh, you know, 
thought about Wisconsin, but he said he wanted to go to a, a real school that had a real football team. Yeah, uh, it wasn't wasn't long after that that Wisconsin knocked off Michigan and Wisconsin went to two Rose Bowls. So very nice. I think we've got that was our, the Barry Alvarez days, right? That yeah, is. Those are good days. So um, going back to your early days at Kimberly Clark, you made a comment about wanting to get out of commodities. Is that a part of the exciting thing for someone like yourself to be able to go drive innovation versus doing commodities? Or, you know, that's something that I'm not familiar with. So, well, you know, commodity things, very competitive. Everybody's making the same, usually the same thing. So when I was first in the tissue business, there's not a lot of different things you're going to be doing to tissue. Uh, then I moved into uh, personal care. And what I would tell people when I go to different places, well, I've been in diapers for 14 years. And nice. The personal care is the Huggies Diapers Division. So there was a lot of innovation going on. Every twice a year, we would do a major modification to our process, to our product. So I was on the front line working with those changes. And I guess one thing I learned real quickly is I'm not one, I guess, to accept can't do something. So it was um, challenging for me as we constantly put out new processes to find ways of doing it. And uh, taking that, uh, then going one step further, uh, now that I've got the ability to work directly with sales marketing, directly face-to-face with customer, that's where the step change I see from going commodity to really a premium product. And what we say is, you know, our business is mainly targeted for customer solutions. So customer has a need, uh, we're going to find a solution for them. That's great. I, I uh, worked for a P&G guy for several years and was always impressed by uh, the amount of passion that he had around things like diapers and wipes and tampons and stuff. As a man who didn't get as involved with some of those products uh, hands-on, particularly yeah. in his early 50s. So um, I, I totally get what you're, what you're talking about there. What's the biggest challenge in your role currently? One is um, moving quickly. Part of the thing is, you know, as we keep growing, we got we to quicken the pace as far as being able to turn out our new products. I'd say one of the biggest impediments is, you know, getting, getting feedback from the customer. You know, you make the product, uh, get it in their hands. Um, you've got to really wait for them. They've got to give you feedback and you got to make a decision whether you got to modify something or uh, the design is good and you can start moving forward. And it's all predicated on them providing more orders. And then the other one is, in our business, we sell to a customer that's going to do a value add to our product. You know, in essence, we're making the base component, which really is the guts of the product usually. Yeah. And then our customer is going to add a value add, finish it, and then sell it to the end, end user. And our accessibility to the end user is limited. It's one thing that I wish we had better connection that we'd be working in, in uh directly with the end user, because many times I think we have a better sense of what we can do with the product, uh, sometimes than when our customers. So it's incumbent upon us to help, you know, educate our customer and allow them to see what else is out there. How much regular interaction um, do you have with, with the customer base, you know, on a regular basis? Constant. It's important that the researcher be along with the sales and marketing individuals when they're out with a customer. Obviously that has been curtailed since March. Sure. Uh, but we're still on conference calls, um, WebExes if we can. So we're still keeping contact. But when you work with a technical product, you can't supplant the, the need to, you know, 
see and, and talk with the customer and feel the product and, and be able to understand their lingo when they talk things. It's not always the same. And if you try to take that and try to transfer that to people and then get to the R&D guy, it, it doesn't translate very well. So. so when you think about innovation, to what extent are you and your team playing in a space in which you're kind of reacting to what you're hearing you know, from the customer or the end user versus um, kind of playing in, a, in, in some white space and looking to maybe innovate and come up with something that you know, isn't like a, a, an iterative kind of change, but something that might not even exist yet? Yeah, that's a really good question. So the term we use is, is it a push project or a pull project? So what you're talking about are push projects, meaning there's not a customer there that's your, your LinkedIn, they're going to pull what it is that you're developing. It's a case of we coming up with something totally new that now we have to push out there, work with sales and marketing uh, to innovate and get, get that to the customer. Is there a lot of that? That is, oh boy, 3%. Yeah. Of maybe what we do and those, I mean, you can count the, the projects on probably one hand uh, because it takes a lot of work, um, takes a lot of patience from the business because it takes time for us to really work through that. Uh, we have some key projects right now that we're, we've gotten out into the, cut, into the market and we're starting to get some really good uh, acceptance and visibility. But I mean, those are, those are fun, uh, but they're very challenging. Yeah, I'm sure they are. In your mind, is moving that kind of 3% to another number, is that, is that part of the answer to driving innovation and, and, and um, you know, ultimately driving the growth agenda here? Maybe it's a part of it. A lot of times people will look at innovation and say, okay, look directly to R&D and say, hey, you got you to you innovate more. You got to really quick push, push more out. But innovation is more than just the development of the product. It encompasses the whole the whole business. So it's one thing to invent a product, but it's another thing to take that product, which is in a, which I see as innovation step and find where that can be used and how you can implement that. And so we have a lot of products. We've developed a lot of products. We have a lot in our portfolio. The key is now finding different applications and different end uses for those. And that's how you innovate. A lot of things that you read um, I like to kind of read different books on history and, you know, how things were, were developed and such. And you, you find that the farmers were, were very big on, you know, developing a, a solution to a problem they had. Someone would come along and say, I can take that further. So what they're doing is they're taking that design and, and implementing it or innovating it and saying, hey, there's other ways of using this. So that's I, what I see as we become more mature is everybody seeing how they can innovate and they are part of the innovation process. And it's, it's not just R&D, but R&D does play a very big role in it. I like that perspective for sure. A uh, dear friend and colleague mentioned to me that you are a big car guy. Tell me about that. Well, we've always had a love for automobiles. Um, when I turned 16, I became a uh, kind of a minor mechanic and a lot boy at a Dodge garage. I did that until I started college, and two months after turning 16, I bought a high-performance uh, muscle car that very, I mean, I was lucky. My father 
co-signed the loan for me. I was going to ask how you raised those funds, but that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. I've always worked. I mean, that's part of my ethic. I'm, whether it was doing lawns, I lived out in the country, so a lawn could be an acre and a half. Yeah. And then I had a paper route, so I always... You know, always grind. And Well, I'll tell you, I, um, I am terrible about everything um, related to cars. I don't know much <laughs> beyond just, you know, the ability to put put gas in are you still pretty hands-on with that yeah. or always yeah. i mean you think you think about it my three daughters each had cars i took care of them then when they moved away they learned real quickly what it's like having to pay for your own brake job yeah stuff like i bet that. So, i bet so you'll yeah. pull you'll pull your daughter's car in and and, and do a brake job probably not from la or denver but yeah. so you'll you would still do that back in the day good for you yeah. not something i can offer my three kids uh yeah. I, I'm afraid they'd be stopping like Fred Flintstone with their heels if that were the case. So, um, well, good for you. So, if you could go joyride in any vehicle ever created or anything that you would modify, what would you choose? Hmm. Probably the old Lamborghini Countach. Not to say that I would want to have it, because they're a handful just to maintain. And a Ferrari, take a Ferrari out probably. Are either of those uh, four seaters? Those would be two-seaters. Those are two-seaters. All right, so this is going to be a tough question then. Your bride of 40 years may listen to this, so I should probably warn you. Who would be next to you on that joyride? Because you only got room for one, and I'm not sure you want to put anyone in the trunk. Well, I tell you, if, if not Debbie, then it'd be probably on my uh, if my daughter. One of your daughters. Do you have a favorite daughter? No, they're all no. great. They all have somewhat of a passion for cars, but... It wouldn't matter. I yeah. mean, any of them would love it. And any of your four ladies would be a, yeah. yeah, it makes sense to me. I do have, I have three kids. Uh, my, my youngest is a boy. Um, I do have a favorite kid at almost all times, but it changes a lot. So maybe as they get older, <laughs> I, I won't be as emotional about that. Um, so Keith, after all these years, what's kept you here all this time? Commitment, building the business. I guess I dedicated quite a bit to Kimberly Clark and in the business coming into Nina and I've taken on different roles to help make that happen and uh, I want to see this the success of Nina so and I, right. I live in a beautiful area I love it you do live in a in an area that um, I've heard is very beautiful I haven't spent much time up there but I guess I got to ask going back to our previous discussion do you live around a lot of fans of the maize and blue or oh yeah and, and as well can, as Michigan State. And my oldest daughter not so went, to, went to Michigan State. And she and I are have rivalries. But it's all in jest. Yeah. My youngest yeah. daughter got her master's at Madison. So I do have one that did go back to my alma mater. Yeah. Well, Keith, look, I've really enjoyed getting, uh, getting to know you some here through the Getting to Know podcast. At the end of every one of these, we've got uh, a short set of questions that we hit people with. So I'm going to go ahead and hit those, and then I'm going to okay. let you get back to driving innovation for our fine organization. Is that good with you? That's good. All right. So what is always in the refrigerator in the Abraham household? It would be something sweet, sour, and dairy. So I'd say fruit. Pickles and cheese. Pickles and cheese. I mean, oh yeah, that makes sense for the upper Midwest, I suppose. So second question, uh, what are you most famous for, Keith? Probably being a Badger fan and my dry humor. Yeah, both are good qualities. I don't know if, if your, uh, your twins uh, at two years old would say, but what, what would your four-year-old grand, grandson, right? Yeah, what, yeah. 
what would he say grandpa's best known for? What are you called, by the way? Is it grandpa? What, do you have a, do you have a name? It's grandpa. Grandpa. So what's yep. grandpa known for? Probably fun and then all by having um, cars and stuff around for him to play with. He sees yeah. all my cars and I'll, I'll let him go in my office and he can play with them yeah. away from his sisters. Otherwise, they'd, they'd be fighting and smashing them up. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we don't need that. I see a couple behind or over your shoulder there. So that's, oh, yeah. that's great. Yeah, that's great. So, um, I mean, you're on vacation right now, so I kind of have a sense to, to what your answer here might be, but what are you most looking forward to right now? Well, number one is seeing my grandchildren today because obviously we're not able to, we, last night we drove down to Illinois, it was in February. I guess the other, from a business perspective, you know, we've got a lot of, lot of projects that are really coming to fruition and my team has been working really hard on them. Like, I'm really looking forward to seeing those take off and the customers you know, some of the customers have been, you know, slow, but these new products, they've been pretty serious about bringing them in and testing them. Hopefully things start ticking up where they are able to start ordering and uh, we can celebrate uh, some of these successes that they've been working really hard on. Well, Keith, I've really enjoyed getting to know you. Thanks for taking the time and, and thank you genuinely to you and your team uh, for everything that you're doing to make the innovation work happen in our organization. It's a huge, huge part of our growth agenda and hugely important to the organization as a whole. So thank you to, to you and your team for everything that you're doing to make that happen. Um, to the listening audience, thank you very much for joining us for another episode of the Getting to Know podcast. We'll talk to you again in two weeks. Thanks, Mike. Appreciate it.